As we look at the Christmas story, I want to just bring out three points this morning. Uh, someone said last night, is it going to be a shortened service this morning? I said, yeah, 15, 20 minutes. And then my wife says, yeah, but you know what a preacher, that means 40, 45 minutes. So we'll see what we can do this morning. I know you have things planned and so forth, but what a blessing we have. And it's unfortunate that we only take time from the Christmas season to read the story of, of, of Christ's birth. But I want to just bring out three points this morning. And the first one, I want to begin reading in Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to be going between Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 2. Uh, so Matthew chapter 1, I want to begin reading with verse 18 and then down through verse 21. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. And that word divorce we were talking about last night, it's not probably the best interpretation of it because they were betrothed to come together and he was willing to separate to save her the shame and so forth. But verse 20, but after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph... Son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. What an awesome thing to consider that this child was going to be unlike any other child that would ever be born. Um, this child had a purpose, and the purpose was to be the Savior of the world. And in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, it says this. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news. Think about that. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today a Savior, who is Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. The Messiah was born. What was prophesied in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, chapter 9, what he would be, what he would do, was now coming to fruition. He was actually born, he was alive in the flesh, left the splendor of heaven, come down to earth, and now it is there, it has happened, and he is alive. And he is there to be the Savior of the world. And so that's the first thing I want to just highlight to you this morning, is that we do have a Savior. We have a Savior who is Christ. And if you don't know him, you're missing out. The greatest decision that we could ever make is to know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And that's the first thing I want you to consider this morning, that He is a Savior. We live in a world where people try to find satisfaction in many other ways, in many other uh, circumstances, through uh, relationships and positions and, and wealth, and we find out that it doesn't work. The greatest joy that you'll ever have is walking with Jesus Christ, with Him being your Savior and friend. But not only that, number two, back to Matthew chapter 2. I want to read verses 3 and 4, 7 and 8, and 13. So first of all, Matthew chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. It says, When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. It's amazing how a king, in his opinion and in his view, can sway an entire country. It says, and all Jerusalem with him. He, he persuaded those to believe as he believed. But hold on. So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes and the people 
and asked them where the Messiah would be born. And of course, the answer, verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, they told them, because this is what was written by the prophet. So what was prophesied in Isaiah was now coming to fruition, and the king did not know what was going on. He said, where is he going to be born? Well, just as it was prophesied, in Bethlehem. But now look at verse 7. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. See, all kinds of uh, deceitfulness taking place here. Herod did not want to go worship him. Uh, and in fact, if Herod knew the, the prophecy at all, he'd know what was taking place, but he did. He was not a follower of Christ. In fact, it goes on, he said, And after hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen in the east. And so the, the wise men that we don't know a whole lot about disregarded the message and went and found him anyway. And we'll find out why in just a moment. But look down at verse 13. And after they were gone, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to what? Destroy him. Isn't that amazing? You can see the deceitfulness and how God gave the wisdom to uh, those involved in letting them understand how, who Herod really was and what Herod's intentions really were. And yet, here's the second point. Not only is the Savior born, but number two, our Savior was not born without opposition. Our Savior did not come into this world without opposition. And let me just say something. That hasn't changed. In 2,000 years, Christianity still faces what? Opposition. There is a world that will be swayed by public opinion at times that is false and contrary to the Word of God. And we shouldn't be surprised at this. In fact, keep your finger in Matthew chapter 2 just for a moment and turn over to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, we find out that we should not be surprised at this. You know, Jesus Christ is about to leave. Things are about to change for the disciples. But look at verse 31. Jesus responded to them, Do you now believe? Look, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. You see, we shouldn't be surprised that Christianity faces opposition. It's no different in the time of Christ than it is today. The world doesn't want the truth. In fact, God's word tells us, it says people love darkness rather than light because what? The deeds are evil. God's word reminds us in Romans 3.23, all sinners, our flesh enjoys living in sin. It's contrary to the Holy Spirit. It's contrary to a life being filled with the Spirit. And there's opposition in this world. When Christ came, there was opposition, and that has not changed. But here's the thing. Jesus Christ came to be our Savior. And number two, despite this opposition, we can have victory. In Christ, we can have victory. He says, I have overcome. And God's Word reminds us, greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. So we live with the knowledge and the fact 
that the Holy Spirit living within us as his children gives us victory, gives us power to go on day after day after day. And then there's something else we can see from the passage in Luke chapter 2. So if you would turn to Luke chapter 2. And then this passage, I want to read the entire passage. We said in Mark, the story concentrates around uh, the life of Joseph and what he was willing to do for Mary. The account in Luke 2 really centers upon the life of Mary. So I want to begin reading in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph also went to, up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to, to him and, and was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in a cloth and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them at the lodging place. I want you to think about that just for a moment before we read the rest of the story. In such humility, how our Savior was born. It wasn't like most hospitals today where you have, they have the, the birthing unit and they have like the separate rooms that are set up for the parents and the relatives to stay there overnight with the, with the mother who's having their baby and the nice little you know, programs that they have in the hospital where everyone who has a child here during this certain time gets a free quilt it wasn't like that. All these programs that are given today, and you know, it's wonderful, it's exciting, it's, it's, it's yay, rah, rah. But the bottom line is Jesus Christ did not have any of that. In humility, he came and was born, as it probably were in our mind's imagination, a rough place, a feeding trough. Not a clean, sanitary place as we would have today. In humility, he came. And Philippians 2 talks about that humility, how he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. And that scripture carried on and it went all the way to the, to the death of the cross. In humility he came and was born. And look at verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round, around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for, I, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Consider that phrase, all the people. See, the town of Jerusalem and its subsiding cities were under the influence of Herod. And according to Herod, this was not a good thing. And according to Herod, we have to get our chief priests and scribes and everyone together so that we can really find Jesus and worship him. But really, his desire was to destroy him and to destroy what he represented. And yet, Jesus Christ didn't come for the lofty. He didn't come for the social elitists. He didn't come for the wealthy. He came for all the people. I love it, like when you're in India or parts of Africa, and uh, whether they call it a caste system or, or some other terminology, a lot of times the terminology that is portrayed is that there are certain social classes that you're born into and you cannot get out of those, except oftentimes by marriage or sometimes financial circumstances. But I love what Pastor Chatla had above his office door. 
In Christ, there is no caste. In Christ, we are all one. For many years in India, if you came to the knowledge of Christ, you were considered lesser of a human being. Christianity was a poor man's religion. And yet, when you truly know Christ, you understand that we're all in the same playing field. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. Every one of us standing in the same level ground, needing Jesus Christ to save us. It says here that he came for all people. So as they're out there, verse 10, the good news of great joy that shall be for all people. Verse 11, today a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth, lying in a feeding trough. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host of the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. And when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one to another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Can you imagine just for a moment hearing the great news and everybody's got a caravan and to go find out what took place. You got to go find the Christ child. They searched for him. They sought him out. It's another point I want to make. I wonder how often we search Christ. Is this something that just happens when we first come to the knowledge of Christ or is that something that continues to go forward in our life? Do we continuously search out Christ? I'm not talking about finding new revelation. I'm not find, talking about finding new things. I'm talking about growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Continuing searching to know more about Christ and who He is. And you realize He gave us the ability to do that. He gave us the ability to know Him and to search more out and to learn more of who He is. But going on, verse 15. Or I'm sorry, verse 16. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard just as they had been told. So three things that we can learn from these passages of the, of the story of Christ's birth is number one, a Savior is born. Is He your Savior? Have you trusted Him as, as, uh, for salvation in Him and Him alone? Number two, a Savior was not born without opposition. There will always be opposition as long as Christ is on the throne. There will be opposition in this world. And number three, here it is, they worship Him despite the opposition. They didn't give in to what everyone else might have thought, what they might have, what they might have been saying. They worshipped him. They fell on their knees and worshipped him for who he was. And we have that opportunity today. Despite what goes on in the world around us, we have to still worship Christ. Not do what the crowd is doing. Not follow what they think is best or right. What public opinion thinks. But over and over, they worshipped him. All the way back in verse 13. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. Down in verse 20. 
The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. The shepherds, the angels were praising God. The shepherds were praising God. Everybody, all God's people were praising God. They were just praising Him for what He had done. The Messiah was born. For they all had seen and heard just as they had been told. What was prophesied of old was now come to pass. Our Savior is right here. Can I say this? He's still here. He's still here. The, the, the message has not changed. Christ is still there for us. And he still can be your Savior if you do not know him. It's the most important decision we can ever make is to recognize him as our Savior. It's not anything we can do. It's all about what he's done. I hope you know him. And that this season, it's another opportunity to reflect on your own decision for Christ. There's opposition. There's Anybody without trial, without difficult circumstances in your life? Anybody just have a perfect life, no problems? Your kids are wonderful, they're respectful, your jobs are incredibly blessed. I mean, there's no problem whatsoever, right? That's not the world I live in. It's probably not the world you live in. It wasn't the world that Christ was born in. But yet, Christ has overcome. And with Christ, we can be victorious. It's of Him as our Savior. Said many times over the years, being a Christian doesn't remove the struggle, but it does give us His Holy Spirit to go with through the struggle with us. He's there with us. I hope you know Him. That Jesus Christ left the splendor of heaven, come down to this earth to be born as a baby, to experience the hardships and trials of life as man does, yet without sin, so that He could go to the cross and be the perfect sacrifice to be our Savior. I hope you know Him. Not just head knowledge, not just information, but to truly place your faith and trust in him and what he's done for us on the cross. That's what matters. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be here this morning, to simply trust you and what you've done. And I pray, God, that for each and every one of us that are here this morning, Lord, that you would just work in our hearts, Lord, to help us know for certain, for sure, whether or not you were your children. And I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. As heads are bowed.